0: Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the music. You can't have the Pretender's first album. That's mine. I bought it. You did not. The catchphrases.
1: Did you have a brain tumor for
2: breakfast?
0: And the wannabes.
1: Sometimes I see you dance around the house in my underwear. Doesn't make me Madonna. Never will.
0: Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Welcome to Stuck in the 80s It's your pal Spearsy And Brad in LA And today we open up another amazing book Set in the 1980s An interview with Davida Breyer Author of the book Sinkhole
2: Okay, Okay. this time, one take I'm telling you people, one take And here we go Are you ready for the magic? Do it Stuck in the 80s is sponsored by the 80s Cruise. Join Stuck in the 80s in 2023 for a week-long trip back into time on board the Royal Caribbean Navigator of the Seas. Performers will include Devo, Brett Michaels, Kim Wilde, The Church, Howard Jones, Living Color, Jody Watley, The Smithereens, Fixin', Cutting Crew, Midgier, Autograph, Tone Loke, and more. And first-time guests can get, you know it, $200. That's right to Ben Franklin's worth of cabin credit just by using the promo code STUCK when booking. Just go to www.the80scruise.com for more information.
0: Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I should make this harder for you. I, I feel like I'm not giving you enough challenges these days.
2: I feel so good right <laughs> now. I, oh, I could lift 20 <laughs> podcasts right now. <laughs>
0: You know what I should really do, though, Brad and all the <laughs> listeners out there? Uh, we always list the same people who are on the boat. We never list the other people who are on the boat. Maybe maybe next time shuffle it up and don't warn me. Let me see. I'm looking right now. You said Brett Michaels, right? Um, Morse Day. Uh, oh, we don't have Morse Day on there. Oh, Morse Day in the time will be there. By the way, he just announced that he's retiring after next year, so this is your last chance to see him. Oh, gosh. Uh, living Color, did we say them? Uh, yes, sir. Jody Watley. Yeah. Cutting Crew. Yes. Vixen. Yes. John Parr. Oh, we didn't mention him. Okay, John well, that'll Parr. be fun. <laughs> China Crisis.
2: China Crisis.
0: And then Larry the Duck, Laurie Majewski.
2: Laurie Majewski and Larry the Duck will be accompanying <laughs> Brad in L.A. and Steven Spears as they judge you. Sometimes professionally, sometimes
0: for fun. Oh my God, so much fun.
2: Get on board the boat and have a good old time, people. Had I mentioned the cabin credit? (laughs)
0: Hey, what about our opening song, We Belong, by Pat Benatar? That's a good time.
2: It is a good song. I'm not quite sure what it means.
0: What does it mean, Steve Spears? We Belong is just one of dozens of 80s songs that are featured in the new novel, Sinkhole, by Davida Breyer, this week's special guest. Ah, that's
2: cool. I'm just glad that you're still around to record a show. I thought you might have been swimming for the Bahamas at this point.
0: No, apparently a lot of Southwest Florida has been overcome by snakes and uh, alligators. And that's really no joke. It's actually the truth. By the way, I just want to say thanks to all the notes that everyone sent before, during and after hurricane Ian. So much of Florida really just got smacked around really bad last week. Um, I escaped, relatively unharmed. We basically lost internet for three days. A lot of the neighborhoods were flooded. We escaped that problem. Much of the southwest coast of Florida is still completely demolished. I mean, there's a whole island over there uh, that I used to go on vacation to called Sanibel Island. It's completely wiped off the map. You can't even... There's the bridge is collapsed in five yeah. different places.
2: I know I'm I joke because that's my first reaction to anything, but it really is pretty serious. Yeah.
0: No. And even as we speak, the water is still rising here in the county that I live in. Oh my gosh, you're uh, kidding. No, because sewers are are exploding and oh, rivers man. have spilled over. It's just no, it's it's pretty awful. Oh, But anyway, it's almost fitting this week that I talked to an author who grew up in different parts of uh, Florida. Uh, Davida Breyer just published the novel Sinkhole, which is set during the 1980s right here in central Florida.
2: So I I have two questions for you. One, you see sinkholes occasionally on the news. Do they really happen that often? And two, were there any of the settings in the book that you're like, oh, yeah, I've been there?
0: (laughs) Yeah. um, Sinkholes. Wait a minute. That's me. She's writing about me. S- sinkholes are oh man they're I mean just when you forget about them that's when they happen it mm. it seems like it's been a long time since a really major one has opened up okay and when they do they can swallow like half a block mm. so they're they're terrifying I've never experienced one i've I've had homes that had settling problems but that's not the same thing as a sinkhole
2: I, I mean do they just do they just open up like suddenly or is it yes like okay it's a manhole size one day and the next day you come out and you're is it's down a, in there, and then uh, well,
0: every one of them's different. Okay. Some of them, they all I mean, start I off small, and then they can be big an hour later. So, huh. okay, um, stay, uh, stay away from the, that. As for the towns, yes, um, I've been to a lot of the ones that DeVita wrote about. They're mostly the smaller towns in Central Florida. And Central Florida is just—I mean, Central Florida is Orlando, and then a thousand small towns. Okay, to make things clear, and. The towns that Davida set things in, you know, I've passed through. My dad used to work in those towns mm, as yeah. part of his business. We all know those towns. If you if you grew up in Florida, you know all the settings from Sinkhole. Okay, um, that's fine. And growing up in Florida in the eighties, Davida uses a lot of the stores and the businesses that. Uh, we used to go to all the time, so sure. when she would she wouldn't mention any department store we'd I, I would sit there and go like, "Oh my God, I haven't thought about that place in years,
2: yeah, funny.
0: I ran through the book like i just I couldn't put it down. Uh, I think I finished it in a week, so really fun. It's about growing up in in small town Florida and finding finding it hard to fit in and having two friends that uh the girl in the story has two friends, both of whom have their own unique set of bizarre challenges. So um, settle back in and listen to my chat with author Davida Breyer. We'll be right back afterwards with Seggies and lots more. DeVita, welcome to Stuck in the 80s.
1: Thank you very much for having me here today.
0: Uh, I'm really excited to talk about your book, Sinkhole. I read it over the last two months. I was immediately, immediately drawn in as soon as I start seeing all the familiar references to Central Florida, where I live now, and of course, the 80s, which appeals to so many of the people who listen to our podcast. Could you describe the novel to those who haven't read it yet? Kind of give a a quick overview.
1: So it's a suspense novel. It's a coming of age novel. Um, It's set in Central Florida in the 1980s. And it also talks a lot about class and um, psychological abuse.
0: What was the original spark that, that kind of gave you the idea for the outline of it?
1: Um, the original spark. And when I started writing, it, I started thinking, huh, you know, we kind of all see narcissistic personalities, but we see them as adults. And we hear all this, you know, oh, kids are so, so, you know, they're just narcissistic. That's just how they are. And I began to think, well, people excuse a lot of behaviors for ch- with children but what would someone like that look like as a child? What would what would both create that? But how would that manifest, especially if they were um coming into contact with other vulnerable young adults?
0: The the villain in this book is pretty despicable. I mean, it, it's 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 I it was hard to show any empathy towards her.
1: It was hard for me writing it. And then towards the end, I began to think of well, how would how did she get this way? So I have I have a little shred of empathy, but no but I, I hold her completely accountable.
0: You, you set the story in central Florida in the eighties. I, I grew up in Florida in Tampa Bay, uh, you know, as a child and a teenager. And I, I now live in outside Orlando. Um, I, I from my understanding, you grew up in Florida, at least for some of the time too. T- tell me about those, those days and where you grew up.
1: Um, so I was born in, in Miami and, uh, you know, over time, we, we moved a bit, we moved out of the state, we moved back to the state. But for the most part, I largely grew up um, in South Miami, then into Perrine and into Homestead. So I had a, a mixture of a very urban and at times a semi-rural childhood in South Florida. Um, I ended up picking Central Florida because I thought I would, you know, as a place, it's a bit more isolated. And I wanted to, I wanted to confine my characters a bit. I wanted to kind of make location part of, you know, part of the the struggle they face with that isolation. But I also wanted to to talk a little bit about wild Florida and that aspect of Florida that, that gets missed when we're talking about tourism, we're talking about politics, we're talking about beaches and, and you kind of miss the, the weird, you know, confluence of, you know, llamas and alligators, like standing side by side that you get in central Florida, that, that, you know, there, there's that, that aspect that we've lost a lot to development, but that is still there and very rich in, in a lot of places.
0: I remember as a kid driving through Florida, my dad had an air conditioning business that he went around and he had to service drive-in theaters around Florida. So we would, I would help him in the summer and, we would drive to all these really small towns like Sebring and Mm -hmm. Winter Haven and, and stuff like that. And you would just drive down these highways and see nothing but orange groves and then like little tiny villages. And you're right. It it is a very um, different vision of Florida than what people probably have today. I mean, I think Florida now just gets wrapped up as Miami and Disney world and, and the beaches and, I don't think anyone understands that just, I mean, Lorita, which is the amazing little real actual town in Florida where you base your story is South of Orlando. It's, it's East of Tampa. It is in the middle of nowhere.
1: And and that was how I found it. I started, I wanted a big splotch of green and I started looking for, you know, I started looking on the map and, and that was how I found Lurita was, was looking for that, green blue part of the state you see on maps
0: um for those who don't know lorita is a town that's spelled exactly like florida except for it's missing the f my understanding is that it's, it's had like several different names over the years and that finally it just came to like the town just decided let's just make it the same as the state and drop the f it was really almost that simple wasn't it
1: um, from what I remember reading and again, you know, I, as I was doing my own research, I'd find a little bit of conflicting history. And I know that I ended up going with what I decided my characters would have been taught and not worrying about what was true or not, but it did sound nice. like the postmaster, um, the postmaster decided to just change it and it became Larita
0: Yeah. Florida is a state that's so full of weird town names like Yeehaw Junction and Christmas, mm-hmm. And uh, Lulu and half the time, it seems like it's the postmaster general who who gives us this unique history. Um, The other thing anyone will notice about this book right off the bat is you have a very clear and precise finger on the pulse of the 80s. Um, There are so many little asides and references in the book, too too many to count. Um, A couple that made me chuckle in particular were references to Zaire's department store, which is long gone. But anyone who grew up in Florida has bought something from Zare's. Um, I can't say the same for Café Risqué.
1: <laughs> but uh, Café Risqué does exist. <laughs> it's a
0: real... Th- I've been inside. <laughs> Is it still around? I don't know. I haven't been up in that part of the state in forever.
1: Um, it was still around as of a couple of years ago. I mean, maybe five, six, seven years ago. From I can't remember the last time I was I was in the Gainesville, kind of general Gainesville area. But yeah, I, yeah. it was there. That was... <laughs>
0: For, for those who don't know, cafe Risqué was a um topless dance club I think I don't know if it was beyond that, but um, and a diner and a diner yeah, you had to have you, you had have- to order food when you went in and I got dragged there one time, I think for a bachelor party and and so I was forced to order mozzarella sticks um <laughs> which were actually quite good, i suppose the um when you think back to the eighties i mean what what um what sort of nostalgia or what, what are your thoughts? Are you, are you more of the positive nostalgia feeling towards them or are you more of the, Oh my God, I can't believe we, we suffered through that kind of a person.
1: Um, I think, I think I kind of fit into that where I recognize that there were a lot of problems and the root of a lot of things that we're dealing with right now started in the eighties. But I also recognize that, for me, I was, you know, I was a teenager. I was coming of age. I went to the movies constantly. I watched TV constantly. My cultural touchstones for, for a great many things began in that area. My love of, of, of certain genres began in that, era, in that era. And so I'm not, you know, I'm certainly not blind to the problems of the time. And, and they weren't particularly an easy time. Not for you know, not for me necessarily, um, but I'm you know. There's always going to be some level of nostalgia for the things that you you absolutely discovered or loved or began to find out about yourself at a certain time.
0: Are there are there things from the eighties? I mean, do you still find yourself if you're flipping through the TV if fast, fast Times at Richmond High or Ferris Bueller comes on or a Duran Duran video comes on? Do you do you stick with it or do you just kind of roll your eyes and move on?
1: Um. There are some that I'll I'll move on, and some it, it, Repo Man. I will. Oh, rep- if repo Man is on. Um, I just okay. What was I doing? I'm here now. I guess.
0: <laughs> the life of a Repo Man is intense.
1: It is, yeah. Why
0: do you think that the '80s continues to have such nostalgic appeal today? I mean, it's been 40 years since the start of the decade.
1: I mean, I think in many ways, like I I, I have an opportunity to view it through my own lens, but also the lens of my son, who's 16. He absolutely loves so much 80s culture, media, music, all of it. And, and sometimes I just kind of, I'm curious to hear from him why. And, and in some of the movies, they are what they are. They're pretty straightforward. You know, it's, it's he just, they're, they're candy and they they some hold up quite well for that purpose i mean he he is absolutely the most metalhead <laughs> 16 year old in 2022 you can imagine and it's interesting to see him going through and going wow i really love this music but this artist is kind of questionable but i can appreciate the music in a in a very different way than maybe it would have been appreciated at the time and i think that For a lot of, for a lot of people, there's just that there's a, there's a comfort in that nostalgia. And I think for this, the younger generations, there is a perception. I think it's, it's particularly kind of that Steven Spielberg perception that the eighties were way better for us as kids than they were. I mean, I think there was this notion of, of these, this freedom and and these cul-de-sacs that I think his generation sees as lost. Speaking of stories that go back and forth
0: in time, you do it so well in sinkhole. And to me, that's, 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 that is definitely one of the things I admire most in anyone's writing when they can, when they can take a story and switch it from modern times and then switch it back and then sw- switch it forward and switch it back. Um, uh, with Michelle's journey from Atlanta back into Florida and and you date each chapter with the date just to make it you know clear. But at as, at some point in the book, those those dates disappear, and you realize we're completely in the present now. So it's a really well thought out um, device. How did you come up with that?
1: I realized that I needed that journey home to be both literal and and also psychological. And I did want to set it back in time, as I said, for that kind of isolation of the time, no internet, pre cell phone. You know how how they would have been managing things without those devices also because if anybody had had a cell phone my plot would have fallen apart in about thirty seconds but <laughs> but um, that was part of it was to give Michelle and the reader a chance to figure out how we got here and to come to that place together
0: and arrive at the same time yeah the um I, I don't know how obviously I, there's certain things I'm looking for in the book that maybe weren't at other people won't see, or maybe they weren't intended, but I feel that in the more modern scene set in Florida, the, the main characters, uh, Michelle's view of Florida matches uh, how a lot of people feel about Florida now, which is, it's kind of like this horrible rainforest void of any meaningful culture and almost a place to dread or pity. Um, and I'm curious as as a flor- former flirting yourself is you know how do you how do you look at the state these days? Is it similar?
1: Um, no, and actually for her, it a lot of that has to do with her her take on Florida as she comes back is more about her mindset. And as she's there, she begins to remember the good things. As she's there, she remembers the smells. As she's there, she begins to experience it again she had put a barrier up so um i i actually you know i don't like a lot of the politics i don't like all the the overdevelopment but as a as a state there's a lot i really genuinely love about florida and um and one of the hardest things has been not being able to to travel back to florida since the pandemic started um, the last trip we took was, uh, I got my open water dive certification in Isla Murata. In, oh, nice. I have that too. <laughs> at, at the very beginning of 2020. And it's been, it's been particularly hard to stay away. I made a point to try to find and, and to explore as, as much of the state as an adult as I could, yeah. you know, I, Cedar Key and, and just other places. So I think there's, there is, great beauty that is underappreciated in in a lot and and i i hope that came through that michelle michelle's feelings about the state early on were more about her than the state and that as she comes home she finds what she hadn't appreciated when she was there as a kid
0: it's been a long time since i've done you know literary analysis but i have to believe that water is a main theme in the book um Michelle takes up swimming and she says the water made me weightless and fast. I could go anywhere in and in all directions in the water. I was free from the heat. Nothing mattered in the water, but the water, water could kill you or set you free. I mean, I'm not wrong. Right. I mean, there was, there was a
1: water, water. And again, she, she, she ends up escaping because she is a swimmer, but she ends up getting trapped you know, in a, in a void, much like getting caught and pulled out into open, open ocean. So, so yes, water, water was, a you know, used repeatedly. And it's also throughout you've got, it's, it's so much part of Florida. You've got the rains, you've got the lakes, you've got all of this. It's, it's all water all the time in different ways.
0: I do also catch on in your book. I love how you use the rain too, as a, as a metaphor, um, Um, Michelle says, um, we should have just enjoyed the rain. If you accept that we were going to get, if you're going to get wet, a wet thunderstorm can be a joy. It's only when you resisted the rain that it seemed bad. I mean, I would read these things and I'd be like, ah, ah, where's highlighter, 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 (laughs) just like really enjoy. I mean, just, I mean, it's clear you had a very strong vision for what you were trying to say and the, and the, and the, the vessels you were using to tell the story.
1: Thanks. Yeah, I. I mean, there was some of that did come from just those those moments of those those waiting for those afternoon thunderstorms, and I live in Maryland now. And like today, it's kind of hot, and I'm like, oh, there's probably not going to be an afternoon thunderstorm. Why isn't there going to be an afternoon (laughs) thunderstorm? Like, you should be able to set your watch to that.
0: 3 p.m. Yeah, most of the time. The um, it used to be more so like that in Florida. I don't know if it's changed lately because of the way the climate's changed or not but but that is one of the joys and i think anyone who comes to florida for the first time and doesn't understand it that always is the first thing that befuddles them is that it can be a clear sky one minute and then Mm -hmm. rain like hell for an hour and then be clear again 20 minutes later yeah um sexuality is obviously an important theme in sinkhole um What are the challenges uh, you have as an author when you're trying to write about an asexual narrator and another primary character who's gay?
1: As Michelle began to kind of form as a character, and I realized that that was part of an aspect of her personality. You know, I I did my research, made sure I was being, you know, I was representing Michelle as accurately as possible. I also had a friend who identifies as asexual. Read the early beta version and make sure I I wasn't out of line. And, you know, I recognized it's 1986 and even 2001 and that Michelle might not have a name for how she feels. She just may know how she feels. So, you know, I was, I was trying to be kind of aware of time and place. Um, and for, for Morrison, you know, same sort of thing that being gay in the eighties, you know, being, being anything, on, on an LGBTQIA anywhere you identified was tough and would have been tough at school would have been particularly tough in a small town and tried to make sure I was being truthful and honest and and trying to show that things were kind of very hard for, for kids then much different than, you know, how I see this current generation just kind of like, Oh, okay. You know, that's cool. Whatever, you know, it's it's not even seen as a, as much of a thing, um, but again, I, I also went and shared the early manus- manuscript with a friend of mine who grew up in a very small town in the Midwest who's gay. What so where,
0: so when it's all over and you, and the someone refinishes the book, what are the takeaways you want to to leave with the readers?
1: And on one hand, I did you know I did want to talk a little bit about class. I wanted to talk about how, you know, some of that class tension that happens in Florida that, you know, sometimes people that, that very often in novels, I see the poor represented in ways that don't seem authentic to me. I wanted that to be one takeaway. Another takeaway was also that um, I think a great many people have had sissies or people like sissy in their lives and to recognize that there are patterns to that abuse and, to maybe see, you know, some healing in that. I've heard that from some readers and that Florida can be a very beautiful place. Um, if you, if you take a minute to get past the, the beaches and the highways, there are some, there are some really magical places.
0: Yeah. It is is one of those States that has a little bit of everything in it. And I don't think you really know it until you live here. Um, but, but thanks for writing the book because I think it really shows that what projects are you working on now? What, what can we expect next?
1: Um, I do have another novel that I'm working on. I have some characters that are starting to show up and, you know, telling me they want to, they want to be let in and it's probably going to be in, in Florida, but it may be, um, it may be a little further South. It may be actually closer to to St. Petersburg or even a little further South than that.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I spent a lot of time in St. Petersburg. That is, that is an unusual town and a great place to set a book in. Not to try to sell it too hard, but. Um, it is it's definitely a unique spot with a very interesting history. Um, one of the last questions I always like to ask people um, on the show is um, I like to pretend that the uh, stuck in East podcast is actually a podcast time machine. And, and with it, um, we can offer you a seat to go back to any uh, place in time and either uh, change an event or re witness an event, or just maybe witness an event that you missed the first time around. And so, As a guest on the show, you get a seat on the time machine. How would you use it? What would you go back and and do or see again?
1: Um, So I spent a lot of the 80s watching Doctor Who. So this (laughs) question terrifies me (laughs) because I don't want to go back and change anything. Um, But if I were given that opportunity, I would like to go back in time before the developers, I would love to see what Florida looked like when all the rookeries were there before the bird trade, when, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'd be eaten alive and have malaria, like in the first five minutes, you know, but I could come back and get treated. Right. <laughs> yes, you could. But I would love to know what it looked like before we started changing everything, you know, and big sugar and all that. I'd mm. love to know what it sounded like. and, and, what, what it looked like in the Everglades and in other sections of the state. So I don't have an exact time frame there, you know, let's go back no. a couple hundred years, but I just, I would be, I would just be curious to know what it looked like.
0: That's a great answer. I, it makes me think of when I was a kid driving back and forth from Lakeland to, to Clearwater, we would always pass these orange uh, juice processing plants and you would roll down the windows and just get these, overwhelming whiffs of 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 fresh oranges as they're mm-hmm. being processed and it's a scent that i i wish i could smell again so that's lost florida to me yeah uh if so if people want to pick up your book where should they go
1: um i have a link to a great many independent bookstores on my website um i'm all about supporting independent bookstores or your local library but all um, information for that's on my website, which is devitabriar.com. And otherwise, you know, wherever, wherever you find, wherever you find books.
0: Thank you for promoting independent bookstores. I love those. And I try to use them myself. Uh, Devita, thanks so, so much for being on Stuck in the 80s.
1: Thank you so much.
0: So there you go, DeVita Breyer. I can't recommend this book enough.
2: I think that the the way that this book is described, the characters are very relatable. Like maybe you didn't find yourself in exactly that situation, but it's not hard to imagine what it's like to not feel like you fit in someplace. <coughs> Weatherford, Oklahoma. <coughs> <laughs> but I really but you like you knew people. You I, knew people like that. Absolutely, absolutely. One of them might have been me. I don't know. I haven't read the book yet, which I'm looking forward to.
0: There was no Brad Williams in there, but it, but I mean, certainly the, the main characters interacted with plenty of Brad's. So, uh, any Steve
2: can't trust those <laughs> Brad's. But I do like that DeVita kind of pointed people towards independent bookstores. Is there a link that people could use to find out more about where to get this tome of knowledge?
0: Yeah, sure. There's a website it's called DeVita Briar, and it's D A V I D A. B-R-E-I-E-R.com slash sinkhole. And I'll put the link in the show notes. and Nice. If you Google sinkhole author or sinkhole, you should be able to find it. By the way, also, uh, DeVita built a fun 80s playlist that's basically a soundtrack for the 80s songs that are mentioned in the book or songs that fit its theme. And I think there's like eighty songs on it. It's amazing. There's oh, some nice. s- s- deep cuts there that you haven't heard in a long time. Uh, and you can find that at DevitaBrier.com slash fun-stuff.
2: You know what else you can find online, Steve? The segues. What's happening, hot stuff?
0: Ah, uh, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for mystery movie moment. We will play a snippet of a movie. <laughs> I'm doing this completely from memory because it's been so long since we've done this segi that I don't remember how it goes.
2: Remember, play- mystery movie we- moment is the movie <laughs> one,
0: Steve. Yes, we play a snippet of a movie from the '80s, and if you can get it right, you're entered into the drawing. For the, and this I'll never forget, postal-friendly bottle opener. Oh. How so we doing? Co- now, now is the obligatory, are we caught up, Brad, moment? Uh, I am not. However, the two
2: that I need to send out are literally sitting on my desk, stamps, envelopes addressed, ready to go out in the mail tomorrow. Literally. Literally. And I use that okay. word literally. The only problem I have is some moron tore the flag off my mailbox, so I just have to believe that the postal carrier will find them in my mailbox and take them with her.
0: You know, it's been so long since I had a mailbox with a, like a traditional mailbox with a flag. I, it's probably been 15 years. To, no, well, no. I mean, like 20 years. Wow. Gosh, you make me feel like an old man, which, I well, like you know, I kind of am. No, you, but you have a house. You have a real <laughs> house. I've lived in apartments and townhomes pretty much since.
2: I suppose that's true.
0: Yeah, so...
2: Anyway, anyway, uh, I mean, <laughs> all that aside, if, if yeah. you're waiting on one sitting by the mailbox, you won't have to sit by there very much longer.
0: Also, get some hobbies. Keep in mind, it's just a bottle opener. It's not even a wine cork. Sometimes a bottle more...
2: opener is just a bottle opener.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, from episode 642, here was the mystery clip.
2: Two bits, four bits, six bits a peso. All for Zerto. Stand
0: up and say so. <laughs> brad's favorite movie Zorro the gay blade
2: i really can't argue with you there i do like this movie a lot and i will tell you i hadn't seen it in a very long time and unsurprisingly it was not available on any streaming services and i thought you know i'm a grown-up i have a job i can afford (laughs) these things so i got on amazon and i bought a copy on dvd kind of expecting to watch it through my fingers like oh this is going to be there's going to be some really just bad things in this and okay as a cis white man i'm not sure i really get to weigh in on this but i didn't think it was bad i thought it was funny there's some definitely some very broadly portrayed stereotypes i won't say that it's all wonderful but i'm it wasn't and this is perhaps damning it with faint praise it wasn't as bad as i expected it to be and in fact, I really enjoyed quite a bit of it. I think George Hamilton is really good in this.
0: You mentioned you know, uh, taking a huge chunk of your income to pay for this DVD, which I'm sure costs probably no more than $12.
2: Exactly. I'm just a cheap bastard. Let's
0: face no, it. No, no. But, but it makes me wonder. It raises the question, not begs it. Thank you. What do you think? Do you have a particular piece of 80s paraphernalia that you think is, is you spent the most amount of money on? Oh,
2: hmm. Like things that I actually still have in
0: my possession. Um, I'll, I'll allow you to uh, deviate from the question as needed. Two things leap to mind. One, the
2: Tron costume, which I never did a full reckoning on that, but there was a lot of expenditures on various uh, electronic parts and battery packs and basically jumpsuits and frisbees and. El wire and all kinds of nonsense, and I I honestly I don't remember how much that cost because I didn't want to know at the time because that was only going to depress me. There was no way that was going to be a good number unless it was five dollars, and it was I I guarantee it was not five dollars. The other thing is hanging right behind me, and the only reason I've spent so much money on it is because I had it professionally framed, and that is my signed poster of Devo. Okay, that's good.
0: I'm trying for me. Oh god, I'm I'm afraid to look. I'm sitting in my home office right now, and it's basically a man cave for the '80s. And I'm I'm looking around. Oh yeah, there's some weird shit in here, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay, I found it. Okay, what do you got? I have a plush stuffed animal version of Falcor, the Luck Dragon from uh, Neverending Story.
2: Oh my! You podcast with a guy for ten years. You think you know him, and then this stuff drops.
0: And I, I, I bought Falcor off of was it eBay? Maybe sure could be maybe five years ago when I was r- really, you know,
2: when flushed. you were in need of some <laughs> of that luck, and all you had was cash. I,
0: it was it was way more money than I want to admit on the, on a podcast. It was, it was three figure. It was three figures.
2: Okay. Yeah. I think I, I mean, what did I I think we've talked about this? (laughs) What did I pay for this poster when it was new? Probably 15 bucks. And then I got it signed
0: $200 probably I bet by the time we got it.
2: Yeah. To get it, to get it professionally matted and framed. It's was a couple hundred bucks. easily. Yeah.
0: i Falcor was more than was more than that.
2: <laughs> I mean, the funny thing to me with the poster is, I was I was on the verge of sending it to my son because I'm like, I'm never going to put this up anywhere. He'll appreciate it. He's a fan of the band. And then I got this space that's my office now, and I'm like, oh, I have some place I could actually put this on the wall.
0: I get a feeling that this is going to be the moment of the podcast that we regret disclosing publicly later. <laughs> that's okay. It might be the single most expensive thing in my house right now. <laughs> Everything else I bought at Wayfair. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> or it was gifted yeah. to me. Do so.
2: expendables count? Because I'm not putting liquor on that list. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, we I had some winners. I think there was a seggy in here somewhere, yeah. We had some
0: winners. We're not the winners. We're clearly <laughs> the losers. But, uh, but there were some winners. So, so, Brad, go ahead and read them.
2: Here we go. The winners include Plane Pulling Tom, John Ross from Charlotte, North Carolina, Brock in North Dakota, Just Drew, Todd in Minnesota, David Wilson, Joseph Perdue, Garrett in Houston, Kevin Pipe Wench, and Billy from Philly, but banished to Boston. Wow, I like that, Billy. I
0: Like the, it's very I like I like the the rhythm
2: there. It's it's very well put together. You know, Billy, you've done a nice job with that one. Full marks.
0: It's great to see that Just Drew is still listening to the show. We, I just posted an old episode that he's one of the co-hosts on.
2: Yeah, I thought we'd driven him off, but I guess not.
0: <laughs> go back and look at episode 646, which was our unlikely covers from the 80s from like eight years ago that we did <clears> that show. <throat> but I was feeling bad that we hadn't posted anything, so I reposted it. So anyway, there you go. Pay attention. Here's this week's mystery movie moment
2: here
0: Calm down get a hold of yourself please, please let me handle this if you know it email us at podcast at com. seems like i just ran through that real fast like i didn't say anything it is com. did i say hey, it did i enunciate I, I think so dot com. and tune in a few weeks well who were kidding a few months to find out if you're a winner Ah, the mystical refrain of name, that 80s tune. Hey, we'll play a snippet of a song from the 80s if you get it right. Again, you're entered into the drawing for the postal-friendly bottle opener. Oh, if that was just mm. a... If the SATs were that easy. <laughs> do you still... Do you remember what you made on the SATs?
2: I like it was in the low 1300s.
0: Oh, Jesus. You want I'm,
2: so- I, I'm sorry... T- You know, standardized tests are my Jimmy Jam. In high school, man, I crushed the things. I don't know why.
0: I made it ten thirty. All right. (laughs) Which is also my bedtime tonight. So we better hurry up.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Predictive of many things.
0: Yeah. um, Anyway, like University um, of Illinois. (laughs) (laughs) You got me into the University of Florida. It wouldn't today. Put your feet on the
2: crooked path. Oh, I know. would I've been able to get into any college? The goofball I was in the <laughs> mid '80s—I don't know. God.
0: Well, I, I planned on taking it more than once, and so the first time I took it, you know how you're not supposed to answer if you don't know. I, I, I answered anyway, and I yeah. just said, "This time I'm gonna—I'm just gonna fill in every answer." And if I don't do a good score, that's fine. I'm gonna do it again anyway. And when I got it back and it was a 10:30, I'm like, "Well, that's—that's that's probably good that's enough. That's respectable for what, yeah. for what I needed to be." Yeah, and so there's no reason to take it again, and so I didn't. So yeah, and I and think, I'm not good at standardized tests.
2: I think the ACT you didn't get penalized for guessing, and so they're like, if you start running out of time, just see all the way down the board. C. C. See see see, 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 just like in summer school. But the SAT yeah. did punish you for guessing. Yes. Why do I remember this stuff? I can't even tell you. Yeah,
0: I know. I I I took the ACT as well, but I I did not do as well on that. I anyway, I
2: got a. I'm not even going to tell you what I got on the ACT.
0: I don't even remember. I, I I would be a complete complete gibberish answer if I if I if I spit it out.
2: It was thirty or above.
0: <laughs> oh, it was. I think mine was in the twenties. So anyway, <laughs> song mystery song. Yeah,
2: let's get back on track here. Sorry, enough of my <laughs> yeah. high school educational exploits.
0: <laughs> we're just we're jamming a whole month of podcasting into one episode.
2: I haven't talked to Stephen forever. This is just I a know just
0: to shoot shit. <laughs> From episode six forty two, here it was. That Centipede by Rebe Jackson.
1: Saying really
0: so like it loud enough so the wife can hear it next door. Excellent. She's the one who tortured me with this song one day. Was, this was one of those ones where I had mentioned centipede, or maybe
2: you played a centipede
0: commercial. Marshall, like a commercial, right after this, yeah, that's what and I you did. You
2: mentioned Zoro the Gay Blade, and then used a clip from Zoro the Gay Blade. You're just right. telegraphing. to everyone. we're not still doing we that. We only sure. had
0: we're we not doing have that, that many right answers. Anyway, read some winners.
2: Okay, here we go. Winners this week include Todd in Minnesota, Richard the Big Bunny, Lance, more chill, less whack, Chadwick, Cliff from somewhere north of Detroit, Gary in Gilroy, Dr. John Mark Bovie in St. Louis, Lou Sweet Lou Greeley, Kevin Serving Wench, and St. Louis Cardinals superfan Dave De La Dirt. Oh, he
0: is. No kidding. Uh, let's spin the wheel find out who wins the uh, postal-friendly bottle opener. Okay. You ready? Yep. Ah, Ooh, I'm saving up, I can tell.
2: Yeah, well, I have it mounted vertically, so I can spin it like the price is right.
0: Looks like it's going to land on David Wilson. So, David, if you are listening, email us your postal address, and we'll get right on it. By that, I mean, like, within the next three months. It'll be sooner
2: That's... than that, I promise. I'm going to be a good boy.
0: By the way, speaking of Chilliwack, or Chiliwack or whatever the hell it's pronounced, I was on a plane within the, uh, within the last month. And the person next to me had a Canadian passport, so I said, "Hey, are you Canadian?" And she's like, "Oh yeah." She's like, "How do you know?" And I'm like, <laughs> "No, I you're holding a Canadian." A Canadian. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I said, "You know," and so I explained the whole deal: how people from Canada who listen to our podcast think that we're, uh, you know, being less than kind to our neighbors to the north, and that one of the bones of contention is that we can't pronounce properly pronounce the name of the city. Like, is it? Is it chill-whack? Is it chilly-whack? Is it chill-o-whack? And chwack. <laughs> she's like, it's chillowack Like, don't I'm overthink like, okay.
2: it. Don't think, just throw. Can only I help the club. I
0: guess that was the lesson learned. Anyway, chillwack. <laughs> just anyway. hurry through it. That's it. Okay, that's <laughs> the that's the clue. And don't and don't take it so seriously when people criticize you for for making fun of their country because we don't.
2: I have nothing but fond memories of, of Canada, except the way they almost did a body cavity search one time when I was coming in to work there. Jeez, I've never I'm been. I'm not taking uh, a job from a Canadian, I promise.
0: Just don't put mayonnaise on my fries.
2: Oh, that I wouldn't complain about.
0: Actually, that, does, that doesn't that does bother me. I don't even like fries, so what do I care? Uh, anyway.
2: <laughs> wow, I'm sorry, guys. Well, I'll try and stay on target here.
0: Pay attention. Here's this week's Mystery Tune. If you know it, email us at podcast at sit80s.com. I said it cleanly at that time. Oh, clean! What do you like about the desert? It's clean. Uh, Crisp. Tune in a few weeks. We'll find out. We'll just see what kind of silliness awaits. Uh, We'll be right back after this commercial break.
2: If you're hungry and in the mood for something extraordinary, look for this symbol. And this telephone is the fastest way to Franco's original Italian pizza day or night. If you live anywhere from Pompano to Hialeah, you can treat yourself to the best in authentic Italian dishes. Franco's specializes in dishes from adipasto to veal francesa, all at reasonable prices. This symbol of excellence is in Pompano, Fort Lauderdale, North Miami Beach, North Miami, and Hialeah. Franco's, the king of pizza with home delivery day or night.
0: And we're back time to thank our new patrons. By the way, you know, if if you if we haven't like drilled it into your head enough, you know, we operate on through the Patreon system now where you become a monthly patron and you can contribute as, as little as like $1 or $2 a month or you can make it a, an annual thing if you want. And for that, you get access to the Patreon site which has our blog and then you also get invited to monthly happy hours that we do on Zoom. And then now we have this thing where Brad hosts a uh, virtual drive-in theater complete with Trailers and everything.
2: I'm telling you, it's everything but the shitty speaker, which you have to provide yourself. <laughs>
0: yeah, and of course, you know, you're helping us uh, defray the cost of putting out the podcast, so it's it's a nice thing. Uh, we had a new Patreon since the last show. It's uh, Jay Swash in Beaver Creek. Somehow, I I doubt that's the real name of his town. But if uh, it isn't,
2: but it's in Canada, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. I'm just going to no, say, I'm Minnesota. sure it's not. Yeah, Wisconsin. Somewhere up north. Could be in Oregon.
0: Some beavers in Florida would have helped the flooding here, I'm just saying. Yeah, beeves. Jay Swash is actually a longtime listener who just returned to the show, and he's going to explain why in a special version of... Are you ready for it? Hey, it's Listener Mailbag.
2: Oh, I love Listener Mailbag. I was just thinking, it's been a while since we've had one of these.
0: Yeah, it's they're fun when we have them, because it gives me a chance to sit back and drink for two minutes while Brad forces his way through an email. Stumbles so through an email. Go ahead and take it away, Brad.
2: <laughs> okay. Jay writes, hi, Brad and Steve, or Steve and Brad. This is Jay Swash in Beaver Creek, your previously avid listener who has been gone for a few years. I decided I needed a social media detox, and since 2017, I have not been on Twitter or Facebook and stopped listening to podcasts. Okay, cool. That's good. (laughs) Do what you need to do for yourself. Um, I myself am not on Facebook very often, although uh, my wife tells me we need to sell some furniture, and that might be our last hope. (laughs) So I might pop in and put some stuff up on Marketplace. But that's got nothing to do with what Jay had to say here.
0: He's one of the users.
2: Yes. Jay continues. I missed you guys, though, and I was hopeful that I would come back to hear about how wonderful Steve's life is now. Hey, anything's possible. A lot of my favorite podcasts have ended, so I was relieved and delighted to hear you guys are still going. Thank you for staying true to your mission. Whatever that is. LOL. Yes, he wrote LOL. If I was going to laugh, I would have just laughed, because I have a microphone. But now I'm over-explaining it, and we'll move on. Jay continues again. I just wanted to send an email about your recent episode and your discussion on Russia's album, Signals. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but in the last two years, they made a Rush pinball machine. This is a pretty common practice, as many famous bands, such as the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, Kiss, and Metallica have their own themed machines. Rush seems to be a weird choice, especially since I never really like their music. It's like musical cough syrup to my ears. But I like the design enough to buy one for my game room. The pinball game incorporates their famous album covers, and you can listen to about a dozen or so of their most famous songs. A couple quick notes. If you play the Rush Pinball Machine long enough, you will become a fan of their music. It's like some sort of weird Stockholm Syndrome. The two surviving members of the band, Alex and Getty, contribute quotes for the game, and they're surprisingly funny. Getty Lee in particular is hilarious. He has no problem mocking his own album art. They both come across as very self-aware and willing to be self-deprecating. Anyway, I'm listening to your new episodes while also going back and listening to what I missed, which is a lot, but dang, I missed you all. Take care and thank you for remaining stuck in the 80s. Jay Swash in Beaver Creek. Hey, Jay, thanks for the letter and thanks for being a Patreon
0: supporter. Yeah. I'm kind of curious how much the pinball machine costs. I wouldn't mind. I'm not a pinball machine guy, but this one sounds like fun.
2: I have one in the house. I don't think I could get another one in the door. <laughs> like, literally, my wife would shoot me.
0: I yeah, I think that's a safe uh, prediction they're, of what would happen here.
2: They're big. That's all I'll say. They're big pieces of machinery. Oh. And they're much louder than you think they are because you're used to playing them in loud environments. And you bring one into your house, like, holy, f-
0: what was that? Oh, well, I, I bing, live bing, in a townhouse. Bong, 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 <laughs> I, I live in a townhouse, so the neighbors would not be amused.
2: Unless you invited I, them over.
0: I don't take them as Rush fans. For, For free One play. is a retired couple, and then the mm. other one is my friend Rosie from Jamaica. And I just don't think. Rosie might think it's amusing, but that's about it. Uh, anyway, we love your letters. Send them, to send them to SIT80s. Just send them to a Just domain to name. Just
2: send them. Just fire them on <laughs> off into the ether and
0: hopefully. <laughs> land. No, seriously, we, we, we really would love more letters. Uh, podcast at com. And like I said, if you're if you're looking to explore becoming a patron, go to Patreon.com slash Stuck in the 80s podcast. That's all we have for this week. We have some some great interviews coming up. We have 1988, Part Three of the Number Two Hits, uh, Close but No Cigars. We have that coming. God, uh, what else? Um, some fo- some good stuff. I think I think uh, it's gonna if be, it's gonna the be phone, good. Right,
2: fall. we're gonna yeah. be on the Hollywood Showcase.
0: <laughs> yeah, right, along with with uh, Captain Keach and the Shrimp Shack Shooters.
2: Yes, and maybe Gus Grissom.
0: <laughs> so, anyway. Thanks for sticking around with us uh, through the summer. Thanks again for your letters of support about Hurricane Ian. And thanks for hanging out with us while we're hopelessly stuck in the 80s. The the stuck
2: in the 80s is now on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash stuck in the 80s podcast. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music. And thanks for listening. Oh